It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. All right, boys and girls, we are back with another edition of the Ben Dominich Podcast brought to you by Fox News. You can check out all of our podcasts at foxnewspodcast.com. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to this one and share it with a friend if you find it of interest. Today I have a conversation with the former governor of Texas, uh, the accomplished politician Rick Perry. He served most recently as the uh, cabinet member in Donald Trump's cabinet uh, at the Department of Energy, Secretary of Energy, and he also was somebody who uh, you know occupied a number of different positions over the course of his career, but is most you know notably associated with his role as governor of Texas, his uh, defeat of Kay Bailey Hutchison, uh, an undefeatable uh, statewide candidate uh, in the views of lots of people, uh, and then his abortive run uh, for the 2012 nomination in the Republican Party for president. Governor Perry is someone who I have enormous respect for. He's kind of a, an old school conservative uh, in a lot of respects. And we uh, had a conversation that was wide ranging about uh, his dogs, his life, uh, what he's uh, done uh, since leaving office. And also, you know, frankly, his, uh, his interests in a lot of different policy areas. Today, we also talked a little bit about Congressman Chip Roy, who was at one point kind of his brain trust, uh, you know, as the governor of, uh, of Texas and then as a candidate who helped him write Fed Up, his, his book that really uh, came to symbolize a lot of the principles of the Tea Party era. Governor Rick Perry, coming up next. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Governor, I wanted to ask you a number of different questions, but first off, I wanted to just ask you about what life has been like uh, since uh, the end of the Trump administration. I think a lot of folks, you know, uh, are don't really pay attention to the way that life goes on for folks who, who serve and then, uh, you know, head back home or do make the choice to do different things. What have you been up to? Well, it's really true that, um, you know, life does go on. Um, I'm still involved in a lot of different things, mostly energy oriented. Um, uh, and when I say mostly energy oriented, I went back, on the board of energy transfer, which is one of the larger midstream companies in, in the, uh, in the world. Uh, so we got a lot of different things going on there. I'm not a big fan of public boards, but I greatly respect the, uh, the man who started energy transfer, Kelsey Warren. And he asked me to come back on and I, uh, as a, uh, show of, uh, fealty to him uh, and, and and the rest of the board. It's really some good, thoughtful men and women. Uh, so I uh, I get to work with some uh, interesting people. Still involved with um, you know the Texas legislature from time to time. I I, I kind of get it. I'm not the governor anymore. I stepped away from that, but um, I get asked to, from time to time to come help. Two years ago, as you'll recall, it's where um, uh, part of this. Uh, uh, podcast will go today. 
uh, I got asked to help uh, pass a piece of legislation allowing for uh, clinical trials for psilocybin uh, for uh, veterans' mental health. And mm-hmm. uh, we passed that two years ago. It's in the process now. And, uh, you know, that's, that's taken all my time. I, I never wanted to be a lobbyist. That was not in my uh, uh, my interest. Uh, I do some consulting work. Uh, I helped with the uh, sports betting uh, alliance this last uh, session of the legislature. Uh, that was not successful uh, in its uh, in its final uh, form. It passed the House as a constitutional amendment. It did not pass the Senate. But um, that's the. Those are about the only two things that I've I've gone back and been engaged with since I left Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, the Trump administration, but uh, still pay attention to what goes on in Washington, (laughs) D.C. And uh, uh, as a matter of fact, we still have a uh, a cabinet members and now it's kind of morphed into uh, a governor's Bible study every week. So I keep up with my friends from the cabinet, Ben Carson, Sonny Perdue. Alex Acosta, uh, you know, there's a number of of folks uh, who uh, we do a a weekly Bible study. Matter of fact, just got off of it uh, with Governor Bryant, Scott Walker, uh, myself and and Ralph Drollinger, who's actually the the uh, uh, the teacher, if you will. Mm -hmm. He's the instructor, uh, runs Capital Ministries, and they they still do uh, a congressional uh, both the House and the Senate um, once a week in Washington D.C. So that's really uh, I spend I spend more time talking to my my old colleagues uh, in Bible study uh, than I do in any other format. So anyway, that kind of covers the watershed, and obviously <laughs> taking care of five old special needs dogs and and doing what my wife wants me to do. I'm not looking around going, gosh, I wish I had something to do. <laughs> I uh, I got to ask about the Bible study. Um, uh, do you work your way through particular books uh, or? No, um, this is um, we we will talk a, a lot about different issues. Uh, Ralph Drollinger, I, I wish I had uh, I wish I'd grown up with a, a person who is as mature and as good a teacher as as Ralph is. Um, I. You know, I, I came to Christ when I was 14 years old in a little small Methodist church in a, that community of Pank Creek where I grew up, very tiny little place out 200 miles west of Fort Worth. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've, I've always been a faithful um, believer. Um, I didn't spend as much time in the Word as I wish I had. Uh, and getting up to D.C., we had a cabinet member Bible study, first time in almost a century that that had happened. And we had some great uh, people. Ben Carson's a, a, just a brilliant um, student of the Bible, as is Sonny Perdue, um, and, and a number uh, of, of other cabinet members who were regulars at that. But Ralph Drollinger and Capital Ministries are stunningly good at, uh, at teaching, and so I, I would highly recommend that any member of the House of Representatives uh, and uh, or the Senate uh, look it up, find out what it's happening and uh, attend it. I got to spend more time with my cabinet members in Bible study than I did in any other uh, forum, including cabinet 
<laughs> meetings. <laughs> there weren't that many of those. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's uh, that's actually. I mean, it's kind of a throwback to the way that relationships used to work in Washington a very long time ago. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and certainly don't work that way right now. I was actually just out in, uh, in Oklahoma to do a, a magazine profile of, uh, Mark Wayne Mullen. And one of the comments that he made to me was, you know, how he knew all of these different members on both sides of the aisle from his time in the house, but that since he'd become a Senator, uh, he said, I don't, I don't need more than one hand to count the number of Democrats I've even had a conversation with. That, yeah, that, that they just don't talk to each other, and, yeah. and not only is it strange, it's not good. Uh, yeah, you know, one one of the things that I learned is, uh, uh, you know, I, I came to politics as a Democrat. I never met a yeah. Republican until I was probably twenty seven years old, or anybody that would admit to be one anyway, out in rural Texas. That you know, conservative Democrats carried the day, and mm -hmm. and uh, Ronald Reagan made it okay for people like me to become a Republican. And so I switched parties in 1989, <clears throat> ran for agriculture commissioner, and then, you know, the rest is history, stayed in the process for 30 plus years uh, as a Republican. But <clears throat> I had really good working relationship with Democrats. Um, I, I think about Sinfronia Thompson. She was, uh, uh, I think she's been in the House for approaching 50 years now. Uh, still a member of the House. She's a, a African-American female from Houston, Texas, mm -hmm. uh, inner city lawyer. Politically, we're philosophically, we're pretty much day and night different. Mm -hmm. um, but we worked on things together. We found things that we could. We, we did a uh, my last session, I believe, in 2013. 10 years ago, we passed legislation dealing with sexually trafficked children. And, uh, you know, frankly, that shouldn't be a Democrat or a Republican issue. It ought to be a common sense, uh, in our case, Texan issue. And it was. And I had great relationships with members of the other party. Uh, we didn't always agree. We might have been kind of vocal about things that we disagreed on. But at the end of the day, We'd go have that proverbial beer together or go, mm -hmm. uh, you know, visit with each other. Matter of fact, Sinfronia Thompson still calls me from time to time. She'll see something or I'll see something about her and call her and say, hey, how are you doing? Uh, <laughs> and and we need to get back to that in, in our country. And this this tribalization of uh, uh, you don't have to change your philosophy. You don't have to change your position. But for goodness sakes, you know. Try to be civil uh, and, and 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 be a you know be a be a kind and loving individual, or or at least attempt to be. Um, I don't even see the attempt anymore, which is you know again, I, I don't think that's necessarily healthy for our union. I want to ask you about a mutual friend of ours, Chip Roy. He has uh, become quite prominent here in Washington, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I know that, uh, you know, we, I got to know him obviously when I was working for John Cornyn and then obviously, you know, he was with, he was working with you and, uh, and then obviously with Ted, uh, now he's, now he's, uh, one of the most critical, you know, sort of, uh, members of the, of co the conservative side of the conference, um, uh, on Capitol Hill. 
Uh, and I was wondering how much you think the experience that he had uh, working with you in 2012 and, and in the run-up to that campaign uh, kind of presaged where he is uh, today. You know, uh, Chip's, you know, friend, We he's one of the few members who I consider an actual, you know, friend. We text and talk about, you yeah. know, all sorts of it's, things outside of the world of politics. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. You would bring him up. <laughs> Literally, I, I pulled this off of my shelf this morning at Bible study looking for a particular uh, uh, a particular area in this book. Chip was the brains behind this. Yeah. Uh, Chip helped go write that book. I actually um, asked him. I asked him whether whether he was going to get get. I said I actually I asked him whether he was going to write a follow up and ask you to do the <laughs> intro. I'm serious. I ran into yeah. him here, here on the street the other day. I yeah. said, "Hey, you should you should do you know fed up yeah. too." You know, yeah. like In my opinion, he ought to name it. I'm still fed up. <laughs> fed up to the vengeance. Yeah, yeah. I'm really fed up. Yeah, uh, Chip Roy is 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 a brilliant uh, young man, a dear friend. Uh, you know, from time to time, I would uh, I would ask him to you know to reel it in just a little bit, but you know that's okay. Um, it, we need people who is is as uncomfortable as it makes those of us in leadership from time to time. It's good to have somebody tapping you on the shoulder, going, "Hey, why are you doing that?" Mm-hmm. You know, obviously do it respectfully, and it's one of the reasons that I was a successful governor uh, is I had really bright capable, principled men and women who worked for me, who did not mind, and they knew they could, tap me on the shoulder and say, Governor, have you thought about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, listen, I've been talked off the, the, the ledge multiple times by really good staff members who respectfully said, Sir, we think you're making a mistake. Now, if it wasn't illegal, immoral, or unethical, and I wanted to do it, then you know, from time to time I would say, listen, it's not illegal, it's not immoral, it's not unethical, and this is what we're going to do. And they would say, yes, sir, we will do everything we can to make that uh, possible. Or, here's my letter of resignation, I can't work for you. <laughs> and, and that's the way it ought to be. You ought to, you ought to have yeah. that type of relationship. So the Chip Roy's of the world, as uncomfortable as he may make some people from time to time, they're a great asset to democracy. And uh, n- none of, you know, none of us like to have, you know, people questioning why we're doing what we're doing. I get that. I'm, I, I get the joke. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Chip Roy's of the world play a very important role in our process of keeping this, <clears throat> keeping this vehicle of government from going off in the ditch one way or the other. You know, the, the thing that I feel like, changed there or what shifted was when I knew Chip in the early, you know, in the mid two thousands, you know, I thought of him as having certainly, you know, some very strongly held beliefs, but tonally he wasn't that different from most of the other, you know, uh, Republican staffers that I knew on, on Capitol Hill. And it seems like 
post the 2012 experience, post the fed up experience, you know, with you and obviously post his own, you know, battle with, uh, with cancer. Um, it seemed like the, the tone shifted in a way that actually seems to me to correspond with the tone shifting among conservatives generally, just in that time between 2012 and 2016, that there was this shift to sort of demand that, uh, people needed to be a lot more confrontational. And I feel like that was in part driven by, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are in part driven by a feeling that, you know, there are a lot of these Republicans who are giving us lip service on these issues when they're running for office and they get there and they don't actually do any of the things they, they prioritize the things that perhaps corporations want or donors want or things like that. And these dicey or, uncomfortable, you know, culture war issues or immigration issues or, you know, things where they're going to get accused of being racist or bigoted that they just naturally sort of are averse to, to leaning in on those. Yeah. What do you think um, about that? It was interesting. That was actually part of the conversation in Bible study this morning. Hmm. Uh, and the, the study this morning is, is about uh, biblical clearly biblical uh, direction on the relationship between man and woman in marriage. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen that issue uh, from, a, from a biblical Judeo-Christian uh, position corroded for two decades now. In 2003, we passed a constitutional amendment in Texas that said marriage is between one man and one woman. It passed by 75%. Um, and, um, you know, my, my point is you either believe that the Bible is correct and you say, here's what it is and be willing to stand up and defend it using intellect, using your biblical knowledge, etc. Mm -hmm. Um, I use that as, as an example of the folks who would promote that no that's that's not correct marriage should be between anybody that loves mm -hmm. each other or what have you or any other issue that you want to pit uh, pitch out there where you ratchet up a little bit at a time and degrade from my perspective uh, the foundational beliefs structure that this country was based upon. <clears throat> and I think, you know, I don't know, I don't know philosophically or mentally, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not smart enough at all to get into Chip Roy's uh, head and say, here's why he did what he did. <laughs> but I think he's a Christian uh, and standing up for what you believe in even to the detriment of whether or not you're going to get elected or not, mm -hmm. is a characteristic of people like Chip uh, that I admire. Mm -hmm. um, that it's more important for me to express and to show you why I believe what I believe than it is for me to get elected. Yeah. For, for, now, with all that said, if you're not in power, you can't change the culture. You can't mm -hmm. defend the, the value. So 
finding finding that sweet spot, if you will, threading that needle of standing up for what you believe in uh, and, and doing it vigorously and not peeving off enough people that you uh, don't get reelected or get elected to begin with is part of governing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you're going to run as a, uh, if you're going to run as a Christian, then if you're going to run as a Republican, and I'm not conflating the two, I'm just saying, yeah. if you're going to stand up and say, hey, I'm a Republican, here's what I believe in, then we think you probably should live that out <laughs> when you get into office. Mm-hmm. So if, if you stand up and say, read my lips, <laughs> no new taxes, <laughs> and then you... And then you don't. <laughs> increase. You may have some explaining to do. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, so one of the things that's obviously emerged as a major, uh, you know, example of this in terms of the the shift that's happened in in American politics is uh, the Dobbs decision. Where we're speaking the day before the one year anniversary of uh, of that decision coming down. Uh, which obviously sent uh, the abortion issue back to the states. And it put uh, a lot of pro-life Republicans or people who styled themselves as pro-life Republicans in the very difficult position of actually having to take a vote or have a stance on an issue other than just saying we're going to appoint good judges. Obviously, different states have gone in different directions, and there's arguments and splits on the right. There's actually arguments and splits on the left, about how extreme they want to be um, because, you know, some people want to go for full taxpayer funding and, you know, basically make, make everywhere look like California. Um, but for the, the, just in terms of the guidance of, of, uh, you know, applying these policies uh, in a way that is, you know, uh, that is principled and that is, moral and that is justified by by beliefs um what is your opinion on what the republican cohort should be doing better on that front and the advice you'd give to people who are skittish particularly political leaders about talking about this issue in the new reality where you know they have to take a stance on exceptions and weeks and all those sorts of things yeah well um my my first My first recommendation to them is to uh, to talk about that we need to make you know our our goal should be to make um, abortion as um, uh, minimize it as much as you can. The, the fewer abortions that we have, the better. Uh, and realizing that that uh, uh, it's, it's it's a real challenge. But on a on a grander scope in, I think you have to talk about what we talked about in the book Fed Up is that, you know, we're 50 laboratories of innovation. Um, I didn't believe in a lot of the different things that Jerry Brown was doing out in California when he was the governor and I was the governor and I was out recruiting businesses. They were overtaxing them, over litigating them, over regulating them. Uh, they were deteriorating their public schools. And, and what that says is to, 
to a business uh, owner, we're going to have less money to have around and they're going to cost us more money by the regulations and the litigation. And we're not going to be able to have the skilled workforce that we need to do what we need to do in our business. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to consider moving somewhere else. I think the same thing is true with the issue of abortion or any other issue that the states need to be dealing with. The 10th Amendment clearly says the federal government tells us what to do in a few areas. And then in all the other areas that it's silent on, that should be left to the states or to the people to decide. I mean, that, that's a little bit of a par- matter of fact, there's a lot of paraphrasing of the 10th Amendment. That's basically what it says. And so I just think it makes, from my perspective, I may not like what you're doing in Nevada on taxes or abortion, but I can go live in a state like Texas that lets me keep more of my money, that lets me have the freedoms that I'm, mm-hmm. that I want for my, for my business, a place that respects life, a place that respects marriage. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to get too far off um, in, into this rabbit hole here, but I, I think uh, Judge Thomas said that the Dobbs decision probably opens up the conversation about marriage. Mm-hmm. So um, that may be an interesting place that the Supreme Court goes as well. And these state legislators who sat back and said, oh, you know, that's a federal issue. Let's let them. Uh, you may be making decisions about uh, not only um, what's your state going to look like on the issue of abortion? What's your state going to look like on the issue of marriage? And I don't have a problem with that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of these 50 states um, deciding themselves how to manage the affairs of of their citizens rather than this big almighty federal government that has gotten too big, Mm -hmm. both in cost and in influence. One of the things you mentioned that you had done some work on uh, was on the sports betting front. I I have to admit, I'm not familiar with what you were, you were pushing, but I'm curious as your perspective on that. Obviously the Supreme court, you know, completely, upended, you know, the situation and in allowing for uh, sports gambling to take place, uh, you know, across the country. And it's been a huge boon for a lot of these uh, uh, entities that have, you know, found a whole new customer base, um, uh, myself among them. Uh, And uh, the, the fact that you can, you know, take your phone out while you're sitting at a sports bar and seeing a game and, and bet live on it. You know, it's obviously, you know, a, a completely different animal from where it used to be. There are concerns, though, among a lot of social conservatives that that's something that is uh, that has downsides. It's going to be a negative and, and that yeah. you know, particularly for college kids with without a lot of money, there's a huge marketing effort to, you know, push them to start, you know, gambling and gambling early, you know, yeah. both from Barstool and from a lot of these other places. What are your thoughts on that? Because, I mean, personally, 
you know, I, I like dabbling in sports gambling. It's it's, it, but I do dabble in it. <laughs> it's not, you know, I've never I've never had a financial ramification uh, more that you know lasted more than five minutes of pain. <laughs> so so, so it's let a me give different. let me give you my background and and uh, as as a state representative uh, back in the eighties. As the governor in the 2000s, I was not supportive of the expansion of gambling in the state of Texas. Uh, so I'm, I'm in, in my own personal life, uh, I can count on one hand and have extra fingers left over on the number of bets that I've ever made uh, on a sporting event. And it was probably something um, completely out on the edge like the Texas Aggies are going to win the national championship in football. And I put $25 on it. So here, um, and, uh, but so the reason I give you that background is there were some people kind of scratching their head going, why are you supporting this effort? Well, first off, this is not an expansion of gambling. Uh, I would argue with anyone who said, Oh, this is an expansion of gambling." No, it's not. This is going on today. Every kid can take their device. Every person can take a device and go place a, a wager on a sporting event today. It's just not legal in the state of Texas, but that's not stopping it. I mean, not slowing it down one iota. Uh, I, I want to say, if my memory serves me correct, somewhere north of $6 billion a year is wagered in the state of Texas on sporting events using these devices. So... My point was, if this is going to happen, let's regulate it, regulate it lightly. We don't have to have, you know, government in here with IRS agents and, you know, uh, with uh, batons and kicking down doors, but let's regulate it. And one of the reasons I think it made sense to regulate is because, number one, we'll have the ability to um, keep kids underage from, from doing it. Uh, and some of these offshore nefarious organizations that are in here, uh, we, we could we could weed them out and protect people, uh, and protect their personal information and stuff when they're when they are uh, doing this type of uh, activity. So mine was mine was about protecting the citizens and regulating uh, this uh, this industry, which is I, I can promise you, as as you know, Ben, anybody pick up their phone right now and make a bet from the yep. state of Texas. They can do that and it's not going to stop. Um, so that argument that it was an expansion of gambling kind of, I think fell f- flat. Now I also make the comparison that sports betting is not a lot unlike wagering on a stock. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the vast majority of the people can pick up their phone, they can go to uh, a, a site, and they can buy a stock. Mm-hmm. Um, they may have seen something that promoted a particular stock or saw something on TV. It's going, oh, I'm going to go buy a cool-sounding stock. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the way some people vote, or vote, the way some people wager on a horse. Uh, I like the gray one. I'm, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm fond of a, of a green jacket there. So... <laughs> Not a lot of science, not a lot. Now, with that said, there are people that know the stock market backwards and forwards, and there are people 
that no sporting events and stuff backwards and forwards. But my point is this, why would we regulate the stock market and protect it from people being abused and not regulate this sports betting that's going to be going on? So um, it obviously didn't carry the day. It, it did pass the Texas House uh, with two thirds of the vote. They had over 100 votes for a constitutional amendment. It never came up for a vote in the Senate. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of leave that where it is. The senators will have to explain to their constituents why they thought it was for them to not allow for the people to have a vote. I, I don't get that. I, uh, I would be remiss if I did not ask you about the situation uh, in Texas regarding uh, Ken Paxton. And I know that that's something that obviously is on the minds of a lot of people, um, uh, you know, in terms of their perspective on, you know, what, uh, uh, what is necessitated. Obviously this move had a lot of different factors going into it, political factors that, you know, uh, <laughs> had, had a lot of different things happening behind the scenes. Yeah. I'm curious as to your take on the situation, what you think yeah. uh, is going to happen and what you think should happen. Yeah. So I, I think there's, there's some background that, uh, you know, your, your podcast viewers, listeners, uh, need to be familiar with when you're the attorney general, um, and of, of the state of Texas, you're the highest ranking law enforcement official in, in the state, basically. Uh, you have oversight of the statewide elected officials. They, they changed that after I got indicted by the Travis County District Attorney's Office for doing my job. I got indicted mm -hmm. back in, I think, 2012 for vetoing some funds for the Travis County District Attorney's Office after the DA was stopped with a half a gallon of vodka half consumed and she blew a 0.238. Uh, she had oversight. Yeah. Almost yes. three times the legal limit. And, uh, I mean, it is the most stunning video you've ever seen in your life, uh, both <laughs> at the side of the stop and in the sheriff's office of her literally having to put a spit, uh, uh, uh mask on her. So she wouldn't spit on the, the police officers. And, I mean, it was, it was pitiful. And, she got seven and a half million dollars worth of uh, state funding for the public integrity unit to oversee statewide elected officials and members of the legislature. And I just basically said, look, what I saw and what I know, and this individual, if they're still in office when this is uh, finalized, and this is when this uh, budget is finalized, I will line out and veto that seven and a half million dollars. I have lost complete confidence this individual can have the judgment to be able to have uh, oversight. And she was there. I vetoed it. And they took it to finally four uh, grand juries and found me guilty of two, uh, you know, abuse of power and something. I mean, these were serious charges. But and it subsequently got completely thrown out, record expunged. But they were successful in doing what they wanted to do, which was to hamstring my effort to run for president again. Yeah. Um, I, in, in hindsight, they certainly didn't need to do that, but I was quite capable of, uh, deep sixing that on my own. Thank you very much. Uh, That's the healthy but, attitude to have, sir. But anyway, here's the point. 
um, is you're the highest ranking law enforcement official in the state of Texas. You are going to be held to a higher standard than anyone else. And you need to understand that. Um, here's my biggest concern. And, and listen, I am completely open to the process of going through, seeing what the evidence is in front of the Senate and letting them make that decision. The House voted overwhelmingly uh, to impeach and to send it to the Senate for the trial. I completely respect the process that they're going through. Um, but the, 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 the point is there were eight of his senior level uh, deputies at the attorney general's office that went forward to the FBI and said, here's what we've seen. Here's what we're concerned about. Listen, I've been in three different statewide offices, the agriculture commissioner for eight years, the lieutenant governor for two years, the governor of Texas for 14 plus years. The idea that a senior staffer that I hired mm -hmm. would go to law enforcement and say, hey, we had conversations with him and he basically said, don't care, this is what I'm going to do. And we think this is rises to the level of criminality. That is some stunning declarations that eight of them, if you had one, it just, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, listen, but eight individuals went forward. So with all of that said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to respect the process. Um, obviously the members of the house saw evidence that moved them to vote for impeachment, at least two thirds of, a matter of fact, I think a hundred and, 121 out of 150 mm -hmm. is a pretty substantial number. Uh, and now it's in front of the Senate. They set their rules. The 5th of September, this trial will be held. So, um, it, you know, it, 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 you know, it breaks my heart that, you know, my beloved Texas is going through this, that, um, but humans fail all the time. And we, we live in a fallen society. We live in a fallen world. And, uh, uh, but the rule of law is really important. Mm -hmm. You know, I know there are people who stand up and say, well, you know, he's a great guy. He's doing a wonderful job. Well, that's not the point here. The mm -hmm. point is, did something occur that rises to the level of being removed from office? Mm -hmm. And that's what the Senate's going to do. So, um, you know, I, I, I pray for uh, the attorney general, his family, uh, as they go through this. But, uh, uh, you know, there there's a long list of men and women who have failed um, and lost the trust of the public because they failed to live within the parameters of our law. Mm -hmm. And it may be uncomfortable. Um it may not be what you would like to see happen, but if we as a country, and in our case, if we as a state, don't follow and respect the rule of law, then shame on us. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm the, the, the man who defended me in my case, uh, Tony Busby, is defending General Paxson. Mm -hmm. uh, so, 
the general has extraordinarily capable uh, counsel, as he should have. And I, uh, you know, I pray that uh, God's will is done and mm-hmm. that the uh, members of the Senate thoughtfully, judiciously, and appropriately deal with this. Uh, one more question, and thank you so much for being generous with your time. I, uh, I know that there's a lot of conversation uh, in America on particularly on the right, but on the left as well, uh, about the forces of, of populism um, that have obviously risen up uh, in a lot of different ways over the last uh, decade or more. Um, we've seen, you know, the rise of the Tea Party. We've seen populism uh, really become, you know, a watchword within the Republican Party. You know, whatever you think of 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 the ideology of, of Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, they are both populist in flavor. Um, and certainly, you know, you could say 75% of the Republican party favoring populists is, uh, a, it is an interesting phenomenon. It, it does seem like a bit of a break with some of its more patrician past. What's the healthiest aspect of populism and what's the thing that, is that you worry about uh, as something that ought to be avoided uh, in terms of the, the way that it affects our politics. And it's not just a thing of the right. Um, in 1990, I ran against the populist uh, in the farm of uh, uh, Jim Hightower, who was yep. the sitting agriculture commissioner. And he was a raging uh, leftist, populist. Um, And here's what I say about it. We the people. And to me, that's what populism is, is a code word for is we the people. And now with that said, we the people sometimes don't pay enough attention to what's going on. Uh, And I can't remember who the uh, the old English fellow was who um, made a statement about that, uh, you know, the people live a long way away from London and uh, they don't really necessarily know what's going on in Parliament. Uh, and the same can be said about uh, America uh, is uh, often what's going on, that sausage making is not you know, particularly pleasant to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we kind of push it out of our, um, our mind's eye, if you will. And getting Americans more engaged in the process, which to me is populism. So reasonably, reasonably getting the public involved and, and knowledgeable about what's going on is one of the failures of our, um, of our society. And, you know, it's really interesting, Ben, when you think about, we've got all these devices here that, you know, we, we've got easy access. We've got this massive amount of uh, information and yet sorting through all of it, and it's fixing to get harder. It's fixing to get worse. When AI gets 
fully implemented in there. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're sitting there going, why did you say X? And I said, I didn't say that. Yeah. Because somebody generated it. Somebody generated a, a, a video of me saying X, Y, and Z. And I never said that. Yeah. That is, I mean, that's some disturbing stuff that's on the horizon for us as a, as a citizenry. Um, I know I'm a little off, um, off your question about populism here, but um, populism to me is about what is the popular thing that the people want to do? Um, and with that said, there needs to be a word stuck in there. And that word for me is within reason, mm-hmm. because sometimes the public gets so fed up <laughs> with uh, what's going on in uh, Washington or in Austin that they will throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the elected official has to balance that. Mm-hmm. They have to find the way to work with, in my case, our case, or I should say my case, the, the Democrats, um, and, you know, just because you're a Democrat doesn't mean you don't have some good ideas. I may not agree philosophically with some of your positions, but there got to be a lot of things out there that we do agree on to move this country forward. Um, and uh, some of them are going to be popular and some populism is a good thing. Um, but it also needs to be tempered in that, um, you don't have chaos. Mm -hmm. So that spectrum from chaos to order (laughs) is, is always what we, what we battle to, to find the, you know, Mm -hmm. find that, uh, hopefully that needle that points to true North. Uh, governor, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's always a pleasure. Uh, Ben, thank you. I'm, I'm a big fan of yours. So um, please give, uh, Uh, the family, my best. More of the Ben Dominich podcast right after this. You know, it's interesting to talk about a a politician or talk with a politician at the remove from the political fray in DC and see what they were, are sort of leaning into as their various issues. The one thing that sticks out in that conversation with Rick Perry is how much he is still animated by you know, a pretty strong level of social conservatism, uh, his views on gay marriage in particular, you know, come up in, within that context. One of the things that's happened in recent years, I don't know if you've paid attention to it, uh, is that essentially since the gay marriage decision in Obergefell, uh, we've seen a significant decline uh, in the belief in the approval of uh, gay marriage as being something that's moral and good. Uh, it's actually something that has declined in both Republican and Democrat camps, uh, mostly on the Democrat side, driven by black Americans, perhaps, uh, you know, having a little more skepticism about the practice. But frankly, I think that it's mostly driven not by the results of gay marriage, but in fact, uh, by the overreach of the uh, corporatized trans agenda, the pride agenda that so many people uh, really are, you know, uh, invested in and are paying attention to, uh, and are trying to advocate for 
through every avenue available to them, uh, through both our government and through corporate entities and the like. Uh, there's been a backlash to that because a lot of it in, involves uh, sexualizing conversations with young children, uh, you know, engaging in promotion of gender therapies that are effect effectively medically irreversible, uh, that lead to the sterilization of uh, young women uh, and men and are not uh, designed in any way to uh, be something that you can go back on. Uh, in if uh, you look at the various polling uh, data that is out there, these steps are enormously unpopular. There is, uh, you know, almost 80% support in the latest Harvard-Harris poll uh, for bans on uh, gender reassignment surgery and puberty blockers for those under 18. Uh, and that's something that I think is, uh, only, you know, driven by a reaction to what people view as uh, extreme overreach. And countries in Europe that were ahead of the curve in terms of experimenting with a lot of these different approaches uh, are also rolling those policies back, particularly those Nordic countries that left of center people are always espousing as being uh, the goal here in America uh, for things that they ought to, uh, you know, try to put into our policies. Uh, so these countries rolling those things back in the wake of, of various bad experiences uh, is another sign that basically this is a, a, an example of significant overreach. Uh, but I don't think that any of the trans-invested people, uh, whether political authorities or otherwise, are really going to come forward and question any of that. Uh, there's too much danger in it for them, and there's too much of a possibility that they will be canceled. So Joe Biden will continue to espouse himself as the candidate of normalcy when running against someone like RFK, because RFK is a loony who believes that Wi-Fi can give you cancer or something like that. And Joe Biden is a completely normal, you know, justifiable you know, uh, a well-adjusted president who simply believes that you can, you know, make massive sort of uh, adjustments to a child child's biological equipment uh, and turn them from male to female. Totally a reasonable position for someone who's insane. I'm Ben Dominich. You've been listening to another edition of the Ben Dominich podcast. We will be back with more soon to dive back into the fray. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.